Welcome to another episode of Meet an African Pastor podcast. I'm here today with my friend, Emmanuel Magambo, and I'm excited to hear from him. We're going to have a, a discussion about uh, some of the practices of his church and denomination. Um, but before that, we'd like to get to know him a little bit better. Emmanuel, you're welcome. Can you tell us more about yourself and more about your family? Yeah, thank you very much, Anthony. It's very good to be together this morning over this Zoom. My name, like you mentioned, is Emmanuel Magambo, and I live in the southwestern part of Uganda. That's about 400 kilometers southwest of Kampala. And uh, I have a family, I am married to Mabel, and uh, we have uh, three biological children and one we adopted, but he's now an adult living on his own in Kampala. And, uh, and uh, so the, <coughs> the three children that uh, we are biologically are on our teens, actually the, the youngest uh, will, be, will, will be making 13 in uh, just a few weeks, about two weeks. Did I yep. say it again? Yeah. That's good. Um, tell us a bit about uh, you know, your role as a pastor. I think you, you hold a few responsibilities. Maybe tell us what those different responsibilities are. And it would be great to hear also how you became a pastor and how you got into those responsibilities. Yeah. Okay. Y yes, uh, I am a multitasked pastor it's not something that is very enjoyable because it puts you here and there but i am a pastor of a local church one of the local churches in our town uh, in our town down here in southwestern uganda and so i lead a team of other young ministers at that church. i've been at this church actually it was like it, it's a new a, a church plant one of the youngest church plant that I have been in, though now it's no longer that young because we've been there for about 80 years, though the growth has been quite slow. So that is my part in the local church. Then in our region of churches, which we call the pastorate, I am the, I, I am the pastorate secretary treasurer. So in charge of the administration of our region of churches, we have uh, about to 80 churches, 80 churches, some very small in the rural, in, in the rural places and others middle, middle, me, others medium, medium congregations. We don't have large churches as such. And how did I become a pastor? It, it was the way of mainly becoming pastors is really usually by, yes, by the calling, which is there, but sometimes also by identification of responsibility in the congregation and then the need in the congregation. So it's usually bringing about, yes, the calling and one becomes very successful if the calling is already there. But so how I became a pastor, I was still at college where I went for my business studies and while I was there, the church I was part of planted a church, planted a church in that town, the current main church in the town where 
I live. And so I was asked to come alongside the pastor who was there in a discipleship. And he, I, I think the rest now, that was in 1993. The rest, that, so that was like the entry into the full-time ministry because after college, after the, that he, college where I was doing business studies, then I went to the Bible college with a denominational Bible college where I was for three years. That was until 96. And then ever since I've been living in this town. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you enjoy as a pastor. You do a lot of different things, but what, what are the things that you really enjoy the most or find most fulfilling and satisfying? Mm. Okay. I, I enjoy the studying, the preparation, and the delivery of biblical messages to a group of people, whether that's a large group of people or a small group of people. And then the other thing that is attached to that is the enjoyment of seeing people growing spiritually, becoming radiant in their spirit and their ministry uh, as a result of uh, the, in, the, the not, not the implant, but about the, as a, the result of receiving God's word. Great. Um, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but we don't have all the time in the world. But today we, we agreed to focus on looking at some of your church structures and, and policies uh, and positions, mm -hmm. because that is something mm -hmm. you know a lot about in your role at the pastorate. And mm -hmm. I know that our North American listeners, it's good for them to hear how churches and other places do things, because that can uh, mm -hmm. give us a new way of looking mm -hmm. at things and a new perspective. And of course, your mm -hmm. perspective is from one denomination, mainly the PAG, Pentecostal Assemblies of God, Uganda, but it yes. will be helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we know that's not representative of all Ugandan churches, but it's still helpful for us to, to hear what you do in PAG. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe we can begin. Could you talk about the role of the pastor? How does, you know, what, what is a pastor expected to do and how does the congregation see the pastor? Yeah, the, the pastor is expected to take care of the spiritual needs, the spiritual needs of uh, a congregation that is through mainly the preaching of God's word on Sundays and in some congregations would also take Bible study seriously. But the pastor is also expected to do the pastoral care, especially through visiting, through through visiting the parishioners or the the churchy members. And uh, yeah, though, though all that he looks from one good enough, I think sometimes the pastor has been expected. Yeah, the, the expectations of the pastor, especially in the area of uh, reaching out to people's felt needs is expected to reach out to to reach out to people with their felt needs especially in a visitation and uh, i think i don't know whether i'm going away because i'm looking at some of the things that are being brought up by 
this question because I think sometimes the pastor has been expected of doing so much in being up and down at the expense of preaching and teaching God's word. I, I, I personally consider that the preaching and the, the teaching of God's word is very central to the pastor's role. But many times you find that the pastor is weak every day and every week is busy up and down. And it's like he feels that obligation, like if he's not in a particular place at a particular time, he will be taken off of lace as a pastor. So which I think he has quashed away, which I think has somehow minimized the pulpit ministry. So I, I, as part of that pastoral, I think our, our pulpit ministry is not rich enough to build the congregation spiritually. Anyway, that's in my opinion, in my opinion and in my observation of what I've seen. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. But um, could you explain a little bit more, just briefly, what what you mean by pastor being up and down? Uh, I don't think. I mean, from my perspective, uh, the the expectations for pastors in Uganda are quite different from pastors in in North mm -hmm. America. Um, so what what do you mean? What is the pastor doing when you say that he's running up and down? What what kinds of things is he expected to be doing? Yeah, like he. Uh, he is expected to, to visit every sick person, uh, would be expected to be at uh, every funeral and, and, and many, of the, many of the things in our, in our structure of the time, they would, they would be unexpected. Such that like if I have said that he, this is the time I'm going to study, but then I get like a call, you know, so some, somebody has been taken to the hospital then it's like I have to run to the hospital because if I don't do that, it will make me of less of a caring pastor. Yes, something, it's usually, a lot, I don't know how to call them, but I was trying to mention the felt needs, but it's like those ones, they, they usually the urgent, they, it's like the urgent comes in to, 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 to to the to ignore or to neglect the important thing to be done. I'm not saying that all the visitations are unnecessary, but he, but I have observed it like he, and also by the way now this brings in another idea because the pastor is also while he's expected to do all that, but he like 80, 80 percent or even more than that. You know, sorry for I don't have a but you do more than eight. 80% of the pastors will also be expected to fend, to, to, to labor, to do some, to be doing something either in the garden or in the market to, to take care of their families. And so when these things come in, it's like the, a lot is expected of the pastor. And the, what has been ending up is the ignore, is neglecting the important ministry also of of clearly proclaiming God's word. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned burials. Um, burials and weddings. Uh, do you go to just the burials and weddings of church members or more than that? And, and in, a, in a given average week uh, for the average pastor, how many weddings and burials would an average pastor go to each week or each month? Yeah, they are uh... 
normally one would be expected to yes to wedding to weddings of uh, church members but also of uh, other other people in the network, not, not in, in, in the person's network, the relatives, the friends, the workmates, all, the, all those the various weddings. So depending on the size of the town or the, the size of the town and the size of the congregation, uh, one may have a wedding maybe every week, on average, you know, on average maybe every week and and funerals funerals usually those would be very because the funerals one is expected to go very to not only to the ones of church members but also to all those others in the communities they could actually be several in a several in a week that that is a lot for north americans to think about i know whoever's listening <laughs> And I, I, yeah, I understand why you say that it makes it difficult to find time to, to study. Yeah. But, uh, okay, let, let's, let's continue. Um, thinking about uh, these expectations that the Christians have on their pastors. Um, mm -hmm. Do they also expect pastors to give some financial help when they're going to these weddings and burials and hospital visits, gifts and, and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, in the, like in the, the main, what are, it's like in the, many of the congregations still, even where I am part of, like the pastor is expected to even to show the lead, to give the lead in, in contributing to those those weddings let's say in the congregation for the members the pastor is expected to be the one taking the lead to show the example then but the others outside the church the pastor normally feels that obligation as like it's as a social part of the social fabric network easy social network but for the congregation many times the pastor is expected to be showing the lead even in giving materially to such occasions. Okay. Well, that leads me to ask, uh, do, do pastors get supported financially by their churches and, and do Christians see that as part of their responsibility to support the families of, of pastors? Uh, I, I don't know how it would because how it is in other congregations, but he, I know within the PhD churches, while we try to set up the systems, but it is very difficult to, the, the, the congregation would feel they have an obligation to support their pastor, but it's not always taken seriously. It is not taken seriously, like even when they are, Doing that support, whether weekly or monthly, or for some cases it would be when it is available, they wouldn't mind whether it is it is enough to take. For example, if if maybe the pastor's family budget and other needs would be, let's say, let me just take an example. Let's say five hundred thousand shillings. 
and members would not mind if for, for this week they formed 30,000 shillings and another week they formed 85, something like that. So while when you talk to members in meetings, they feel that obligation, but in practice, functionally, it, it, it's, it's not taken seriously because you don't see the practicality, the, the practicality of it. So that, that goes back to then what you were saying about uh, working in, in agriculture or, or business. It sounds like that's quite uh, important for most pastors to be able to make it. Would that be right? Yeah. Um, okay. What about um, retirement? Um, when pastors retire, uh, is there anything that's done before that to, to prepare for that time so that they're taken care of? In a PAG, PAG about to, it's a new thing. It's a, a new thing. And uh, I think it is happening in a PAG. I'm not sure of what uh, other, of course, the other mainstream churches uh, Anglican and Catholics, yeah, I think they may have maybe some things in place for that. But in our independent Pentecostal churches, it's not really part of the structure or part of the facilitation. But in PAG, it's a new thing. So we started what is called the Provident Fund. We started what we call the Provident Fund to which the pastors and the congregations uh, uh, contribute contribute to something and then it escaped on a national account. It's a, a, a new thing, but also putting it back to what we what, what I said uh, about to the lack of facilitation. So it has also been sort of a tug of war to help pastors contribute to it because they say if you want us to contribute to, to it and yet the contribution in the structure should be coming from the church funds but the church funds are so little that, that even the percentage that we have suggested that comes is almost negligible so while it is it is it is a new thing and we are sort of excited about it especially for the next generation but we still have those challenges of making sure that he it can be if effectively contributed to both because it should be contributed to from the pastor's facilitation from the church. But like I said, which is negligible and inconsistent. So it, there are those challenges, but, and, but it, it's a new thing and it's sort of that kind of challenging too. Yeah, I understand. On, on, mm -hmm. on the issue of support, um, what about theological education do do churches support their own pastor if he says, you know, I need to go get a diploma and then come back and pastor you again? Yes, some do. Like my mother church down here in Kavale, and even right now, where and we try also to promote it in the region of churches because that has been very essential. At at least I know that he. Uh, the church here, the main PAG church and the other churches that are around it, have uh, taken it as the, as the, as the essential to train people for, because they're like, that's how in 1993, 
I, I was sent to Mbale where our theological college is. And so from, so somebody, we've had that foundation of feeling if there is a, somebody to train for ministry, the church should be in, in charge. I can speak that more authoritatively on the, this, these two congregations where are mainly involved because we have other, the other congregations, I can't say they take it that seriously. I can't say authoritatively, but I know these two congregations, we've had it at right in the foundation of our, of, of our ministry. That's really encouraging to know that that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, let's, yeah. let's switch a little bit to thinking about the worship that happens on, on Sundays. Um, mm -hmm. There's a few things I want to ask about that, but maybe first, can you tell us for a typical church, what does Sunday look like from the morning to the evening? Uh, what is, I know different churches are different, but a typical PAG church. Mm, a typical PAG church. A typical PAG church is a Sunday morning service would do start with the a time of prayer and intercession and uh, then uh, we continue with the several minutes of uh, singing and uh, then uh, after that time of singing there will be a time of uh, testimonies called out from the congregation from the congregation who has a test basically testimony is what is the lord has what has the lord been doing through this week and then after that time of testimonies we have those uh, the time of welcoming visitors and and, and then maybe some more singing and giving of offerings and then the preaching of the word i don't yes uh there is quite uh, our typical service that's still according to me leaves in a lot to be desired and uh, again here in the uh, uh, where i'm part of where we've tried to, to 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 change some of the things to see which things come out of because while the the church is very lively very lively i like very much that part of intercession the time of intercession which is i think very essential in 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 opening up to god in the as the service begins but when it comes to the singing that sometimes could go on for 40 minutes one hour I think some of those, and then the testimonies, the visitors, the visitors may, each visitor is given time to greet the congregation. That's typically, I know in some of our town churches, we have tried to change that. In the rural places, you'd still find that. So you find that there is quite a lot of good things that are happening, but you also wonder whether these good things are the are the most essential for a particular service. That you would be in the service would end maybe one or two in, and then in the afternoon, there would be other gatherings, usually sometimes homogeneous groups and other churches. Some churches may have a deliverance service where people come pray and, and then they are prayed for 
deliverance the, the, those who may be spiritually bound and they, so basically a typical sunday for many of the and this is not only for PAG, for many of the pentecostal charismatic churches that would be a typical sunday and yeah i've just mentioned it without i don't know without doing a lot of evaluation of it or or appraise or where it needs to be appraised i have not i've just given it the way it would be observed on a on a typical sunday yeah that's okay uh if you ever feel like you want to give an uh, evaluation or appraisal you can feel free to to do so <laughs> but you also don't have to it's fine just to share uh, for people to know what the typical okay. is um, on the worship service, especially the the Sunday morning worship services, um, mm. does the pastor work with other people to plan that service, or is it just that the pastor is the one to plan it, or is it a worship leader to plan it? Uh, how does the the preparation for it look like? And they. The preparation for it, usually all the participants are left to plan on their own, like the singers would plan the songs, the pastor will, will plan for the preaching. So there is no central planning. There is no, there is no set, like let's say who is planning what is going to happen because even the person who leads the service, Usually, the person who leads the service is different from the pastor who is going to preach and is from the one who is going to lead the songs. The, the, the person leading the service will, will all know we are in on it. We are going to do A, B, C, D. And then when it's time to invite the singers, invite the singers. But the singers are the ones who, are, who know the songs they have prepared. And the, then when it's time for preaching, you invite the preachers. So there is no central planning for a worship service. Typically, yeah, typically. Um, the, the service leader and, and the worship leader, I think those are different people. Is that correct? You have someone leading songs and another person kind of telling what's happening next? Yes, yeah, that's what uh, I meant that the, the service leader actually is different from the one leading the songs of worship. Yeah, you, you, in some cases they call him a programmer that he that is moderating, like he moderates the program, he moderates the service program and the one who is leading the song, who is leading worships, I mean, who is leading worship, let's say the singing is also different and the pastor who is going to preach is also different yeah and those uh service leaders and worship leaders do they get some kind of uh informal or formal training for doing that ministry for the those who like who lead the service yeah the, come again the the service leaders those programmers or the mm. or the worship leaders do they get some kind of informal training to do that ministry normally no not much normally it isn't there they have been identified maybe from their ability to to lead the program they've been identified from their commitment and availability to the church and maybe being available when the pastor is delegating 
them to do something, but uh, usually, usually they wouldn't have real formal training to do that. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Let's think about some of these other positions besides the programmer and the worship leader. Uh, I know you have mm -hmm. deacons and elders, so let, let's talk about them for a few minutes. Um, what do your deacons do, whether on Sunday or during the week? What is what is their role? Uh, the deacons, like our deacons, would do mainly take care of the financial and the material life of the church. Uh, take, for example, on Sunday, they would be in charge of counting the offerings and the tithes and recording them. In, in, if a church is, is medium and is organized, they may have maybe a secretary who is doing that, who is not one of the deacons, but usually the secretary would do this because the secretary would be one of the deacons, so would do take care of the finances and the material life of the church. If there are repairs on the building to be done, the deacons would be showing notes that we need to do this. If there are fundraisings to be done for a, a particular a, a particular project or a particular ministry activity, they, they would also be in charge of that. Okay. Um, and how how does a person become a deacon? What does that process look like? Or how do you uh, how do you choose them? Okay. They're usually identified from their commitment and ability. They are identified from their commitment and ability. And when they are identified, in a, the, the pastor will appoint them, the pastor appoint, will appoint them, or sometimes with a team that works, the pastor will have a team, and then I'll appoint, appoint them and they announce them in the congregation that so-and-so are going to be our deacons. Uh, that is, the, I think, also a predominant way, the, way people become deacons. The other way that people become deacons, Sometimes we are, we'll try to, we will, now this now comes back to, to our, to some of the congregations where we will want to involve the, 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 the congregation in identifying, in identifying deacons, but then when they have identified them, the pastor, the, 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 the pastor appoints them, the pastor or the pastoral committee. In, in some cases you have where you have a team of pastors, two or three working together, but in other instances you have really a single pastor who is doing most of the, of the, of the decisions. And how, is there like a term for the deacons or, or do they remain deacon for life or how, how does that work? Uh, yes and no, because I think the most predominant trend is that he really deacons would have no term. You would have no term. And in the, but in the former way, the deacons would have two, two years, two years, and then they would do two, two, two years, and then they could be reappointed 
could be reappointed re re reappointed one more time and then they can be away they, they can they they, 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 they they may now be away for another four years before they can come back but that is very it's very in very negligible congregations where that is done in most cases there is no term I, I just wanted to share that in North America, it's there's a variety of practices, of course, of what different kinds of churches do, but some of the churches will nominate people to be deacons and then vote on them. Um, I'm wondering what you or what Ugandans in general think about um, voting in church for different things, whether for appointing people like for deacons or voting on decisions in the church. Is that ever done um, for different kinds of decisions where you'd have people in the congregation vote on something? And I'm just wondering how, how that is, is voting on things viewed as like a negative thing that's not so helpful? Just share more about that. I'd be interested to hear. Yeah, in the we at some time in the past we used to do the voting, both actually in the local church and in the pastorate, the regional churches when we are looking for leaders and even nationally. Though in the last ten to fifteen years, we observed a lot of. Um, Politi politics, 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 church politics. They would come in a, a lot of church politics. So right now, the, the issue of voting, the issue of voting is looked at in negatively, is looked at in negatively. Because, and, and the main purpose is that while at one time we did it and encouraged it and taught it in our training institutions like the Bible school and the, our local training of ministers. But he, I think we, we ended up getting a lot of church politics in that. So right now we are in a place where we are, we are, look, where we are looking for an alternative to voting. We are an alternative to voting whereby the, the pastor or the pastors are not acting autom autom autonomously. But when also the people who are more politically oriented are not given the opportunity to do that kind of politics in church leadership and ministry. That's a really interesting reflection. Mm -hmm. I know that we have, we have church politics issues in, in the United States as well. It seems to be everywhere. Okay. <laughs> um, let's move on to elders. Um, what do your okay. elders do? What's the role of an elder? Yeah, elders, elders are like advisors. They are advisors to the pastors and deacons. And yeah, so yeah, basically that's what they really do. It's more or less in an advisory capacity to the pastor and the deacons. Advising on what and kinds in some, of uh, and in some in, And in some congregations, can I again, sorry? Uh, I was just saying, uh, advising on what kinds of issues or what kinds of things? It's advising would be in terms of um, sometimes discipline and uh, sometimes it could be like the pastor, the, the, the pastors and the deacons 
are looking for an approval from them to do something. I should say that like the, the office of the elders is not so much functional, at least in southwestern Uganda, where I am. It, it's not the, the, the office of elders is not really strongly functional and visible because it comes in like maybe the pastors and the deacons are looking for some more approval on some of the decisions that have been made. So you find that like in much of our leadership here in the PAG Chiges Ankara, you find that the role of elders is not really that kind of functional. But uh, at least in my my area of Uganda and PAG, I do hear a lot of people called by the title elder so-and-so, elder so-and-so, uh, publicly mm -hmm. in the church service and also when they're referring to them. Um, so maybe just speak generally in, in PAG. Um, how, do, how do these people like that, how do they become elders? And how, how do they become? Yeah, how are how, they appointed or how are they how do they become an elder? Yeah, because sometimes they um, in PAG, sometimes they are called the elders as a way of recognizing they are they are uh, they are what they are consistency in the ministry, they've been there long or they've served or they are or they have or they've served as pastors and now they're no longer pastor, they have served uh, on in executive as the as in as leaders and somehow they have uh, they, 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 are, they have retired they have retired or stopped doing this so it comes up as a, as a respect because uh, like in our circles here it would be difficult when we go to the constitution when we find that there is maybe an elders council but when it comes to the functionality of the congregation i personally don't see the the, the, the role of uh, the elder that is being prominent, except that a congregation that could, okay, let these elders help us on this. It could be like talking to people who are warring with each other. It could be talking to groups that are warring on each other. Such that uh, to me, they say that they, 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 the, the, the title or the office of an elder is not really formal in the PAG. I see it more as informal in the PAG. Great. I have so many more questions, but we're basically running out of time. We don't want this uh, oh, okay. podcast to be too long. <laughs> so I think we'll have to plan, okay. uh, we'll plan another time to talk again. Um, but okay. let, me, let me just find out uh, on all these questions I've been raising, is there anything else you would like to add maybe that I didn't give you a chance on any of those topics? Yeah, okay. On the worship yeah, on services, the, uh, pastors, deacons, elders. Yeah, I think you, one of the things that needs to be, that I would have wanted to look at more is also like, what is the good thing that is happening, let's say in worship services, but what needs to be changed? There is, because I, even like I said, I have been mentioning in a way of broad the the way of observation, but like that part of seeing maybe the good thing that is happening in a way of of, of transforming what is there or improving on what is there, I think it would be it would be good maybe to talk more on that because 
while there is a lot that is good, there is also quite a lot that needs to be improved on, that needs to be improved on. And uh, as uh, a church, we've learned quite a lot, quite a lot. There is, a, and I think even as we say, good that is happening and the thing that needs improvement, I think also it's true of the American church because like talk mm. of our worship, I think there is a lot we learn from the American church and though not learning totally wholesale that this is good. So, you know, that other part of looking at what is there and what needs to be improved, I, I think it would be good to, if we could have time maybe to also to talk more about that. Yeah, that would be very interesting. I, I think, let me give you time to think that over and we'll begin with that on our next discussion. Uh, I would love to hear okay. what, what you think uh, is good from, let's say, North American worship that you, you, you think is helpful for your churches, but also the other way around. Uh, what, what are mm -hmm. some good worship practices that you have that the North American churches could learn from and benefit from if they were to, to take them up? Um, so let's plan okay. another time to, to get into that more. That would be very helpful. Um, okay. Before we stop, uh, could you share any prayer requests that you have for the listeners, maybe for yourself or for your family or for your church or even your pastorate mm -hmm. um, so that the people who are listening can take some time to pray for you? Okay. Yeah, one of the things that you, as a, a local church where I pastor, and this was also now spread to to the to the pastorate, the our regional churches, is that we might be able to clearly, clear, clear, clearly articulate, clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we are living. Many times, it's a it's a it's a global trend that the church is growing in Africa, but yet many times when you come down, when you ask yourself, what kind of church is growing in Africa? You ask yourself, is this real growth or is there some kind of, some kind of wildfire just going? So, so in that instance, I ask for prayer that we might be able to proclaim, not only the, in the local church, because I am also, involved yeah by this might be maybe not part of the discussion but like i am 53 and i am already thinking there should be like passing on the pattern of one area and then we especially the one of local church leadership and the administration and being involved more in the years that might be there normally in me one would say lord willing how much time can i put to more of coaching and the disciple and mentoring coaching and mentoring for for clear a clear a, a clear gospel message that is conservative enough and at the same time is contemporary enough because usually when there is so so I'm I've taken but I, I think it's the greatest need of the church in Africa because there is a, a lot that is left to be desired that is the, on the wall that one 
and then of course also as a, a congregation as a, 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 a congregation we we are at that point this is maybe this more specific now as uh, we are at that point when we are building constructing wanting to construct a place of worship a place of worship not very exorbitant or very fancy but where we can move to and and and, and look at it but even that one also brings in a request because it's one thing to think of buildings as they think and another thing to think of buildings or structures as the as a facility for gospel proclamation, all those things. So really, I think the real thing is around for us to be able to be able to proclaim a spirit-filled gospel to this broken world. And in the times that are very uncertain, we don't we 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 are in, living in a very uncertain times where we know the clear solution is the Lord Jesus Christ clearly and is spiritually spiritually empowered proclaimed to this broken world yes that's a that's the deep need and i uh, thank you so much for for sharing those prayer requests uh emmanuel i just want to affirm that desire you have to coach and mentor new leaders i know that you are gifted in that area and i really hope that god will provide you with the time and the the ability to to move more in that direction. I think that would be an excellent thing as we, we work together mm -hmm. to raise up these these new leaders. Um, so thank you so much for this time. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll have to talk again soon. Thank you. Right, thank you so you. much. Yeah, God bless.